Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So it is almost Christmas. There are actually only five more days till Christmas, which means there are only four more shopping days, husbands. I'm giving you a little bit of a heads up here, okay? It's getting down to the wire. You got the last minute, guys. I know how it is. Um, there's also a couple of things I just need to really encourage you to do. If you have not yet done it, go get your reservation for one of our Christmas Eve services. We are doing six of them. A couple of them are actually sold out now, okay? There's no more room in those. We need everybody to do that um, because we want to make sure that we have enough seating for everybody who comes particularly for our guests. And if you don't get a seat and we have an idea that we think we've got space and then we have a guest show up and they don't get a seat because of you, okay, we're going to come after you. We know, we know, we're keeping, no, we're not, we're not. Um, But we really do encourage you to do that. It's not just helpful to us in our planning, but it is also helpful um, for our guests. We want to make sure that everybody has a spot. The tickets are free, and I know there were some of you that you were just like, I don't need to do that. I'm not going to do that. And no matter how many times you ask me or tell me to, I'm not going to do it. We're just not going to let you in. Okay? We're just not, no. Uh, we really do need you to help us with that. So please make sure that you do that. The other thing is, is that, I just want to thank you for your generosity. Um, we have been able, through the Adoptive Family Giving Tree, been able to sponsor 34 families this year, which is really, really exciting. And I just see everybody coming in, bringing their gifts. Um, and we've got a group of people that are over in the student center right now sorting all that out, making sure the family groups get all put together. What we need help with is tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, we're going to be making all of those deliveries. And we could still use some help um, in, in making those deliveries. It's an incredible blessing. It's just an incredible experience to be able to go and deliver a whole um, Christmas celebration to a family. And so if you can help with that tomorrow, um, please stop by the desk there um, right out in the lobby and sign up. Let us know that we, you can help because we need your help in making sure that all these gifts get to people. All right. So help us with that. All right, so um, we're at the end of this series, and we're coming up to the end of Christmas season. In fact, what actually, by this time next week, it will all be over. All the gifts will be given. All of the wrapping and the ribbons will be thrown away. We will be getting back to real life, which kind of begs the question, what is real life? Um, we are in this series, this Christmas series, we've been looking through um, the Gospel of John, and what John says is the story behind the story, what you need to know about Christmas, um, not just the story, but the story behind the story. And John uses three terms to describe Jesus and his coming and his mission and what that was all about. And we looked at the first week, um, how he came as the word so that we would know God and know that he also knows us. He came and expressed God to us through the word. We also, last week, Pastor Larry talked about Jesus being the light, which means that even in our darkest moments, he brings light and there's no need to fear. And today we're going to talk about life. John said he is the life. And what does that look like for you and me? So if you want to turn there, if you want to take out your Northgate app, take out your smartphone, um, you can keep notes there. Um, We're going to be in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Same passage we've read each week, but I want to read it again. This is what John wrote about Jesus coming. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now to the fullness, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father, he has made him known. We have seen his glory full of grace and truth. In him was life and that life was a light of all mankind. What does that life look like for you and me? What is, what is this life that Jesus brought to us? And what is this life that he is now inviting us into? That's kind of what I want to unpack a little bit today and, and take a look at. And I think there's great hints and great um, uh, understanding that John gives us an insight to this whole thing. And I think it starts with this idea that we live our lives now in grace. That it really all starts with grace. John wrote this, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Now, John uses that imagery throughout his gospel. He talks about this idea um, in, in the encounter with Nicodemus where Jesus says, you must be born again. That this, this life that comes to us, when he uses that terminology, he's really, it's an expression of grace. Think about this. How much say did you have in your birth? How much influence? How much impact? What, 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 point, what point, point did you play in any of that? None. You just showed up. <laughs> your life came to you as a gift. And when John uses that imagery to talk about this life that we have in Christ, it's the same idea. It is a gift. It comes from God. It is for those who received, who believed in his name. It's simply that easy. It is all about grace. It's a new life, and it's a new birth, and it's not based on my DNA or my lineage or my, my family background. It's not based on my, my achievements or, or, or my goodness or, 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 or my earning or deserving any of it. It is a gift from God. Now, that is contrary to the way that we tend to look at life. We tend to look at life is that good, good behavior gets rewarded, bad behavior gets punished. 
Good behavior deserves something. Bad behavior deserves something else. And that's pretty much how we function our life. We want to have a good life, so we try to be good people. This is something that parents exploit for the whole month of December. Because we hold that threat. You know, Santa's got a list. He's got two lists. There's the nice list and there's the naughty list, okay? And you don't want to be on Santa's naughty list. So if you're misbehaving during December, the morning is, well, oh, 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 be careful. He's making a list and he's checking it twice. And you see that in in children's letters to Santa. Um, I went online this week and just picked up a few of them. But but here's a couple of examples of of that whole idea of earning and effort and all of that thing. Um, This one is written by Isaac. It says, Dear Santa, I hope I'm on the good list this year because I'm really looking forward to Christmas. And I try hard to be good all year long. For example, I try hard in school. I help do chores. I participate in what my teacher, Mr. K, says. I feed my dog every day. Put me on the good list. <laughs> now, there's another one here. Um, I kind of like this one as well. Um, this is Love Brady. He says, Dear Santa, I'm sorry for being mean and talking back to my parents. I promise to, do, to be good from now on. Please don't put me on the naughty list. One of my favorite, all-time favorite um, letters to Santa, I actually don't have it because it actually was published in the um, Milwaukee Journal 1966, so we don't have the original manuscript, but um, it goes like this. Um, Dear Santa, there are three boys living in my house. Jeffrey is two, David is four, and Norman is seven. Jeffrey is good most of the time. David is good some of the time. And Norman is good all the time. P.S. I am Norman. (laughs) See, you want to be on the nice list. You don't want to be on the naughty list. And then a few years ago, a few years ago, some genius came up with this little guy. Anybody know who this is? This is the elf on the shelf. He looks friendly. He looks like a really nice guy, but what he is is he is a spy. He is there as a spy to check out if you're being naughty or nice, and he reports back to Santa. Okay, so watch out for this little guy. He looks harmless, but no, he could really ruin your day, okay? We live with this idea that I have to earn, if I want a good life, I have to be a good person. I have to earn it. And the trouble with that is, is none of us are good enough. And Jesus comes and he announces this thing called grace. And we desperately need it because none of us are good enough. And in his grace, what he offers now is forgiveness, forgiveness of our sin, forgiveness of our failures, forgiveness of our mistakes, forgiveness of our outright rebellion. He gives us grace. And the life that we live now in him is a life of grace. But it's not just about forgiveness of sins. The New Testament writers talk about this idea of growing in grace. And growing in grace is not just about growing in learning how to get forgiveness. It's about something much deeper than that. Paul, John wrote about it this way. He said, grace is for living. He says, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. What what he's saying there is that grace is for life. Grace is for living. 
Grace is what we need every day of our lives, not just because we need forgiveness, but we need to learn to live this whole new life that God has given to us through Jesus Christ, and that life is all about grace. It is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace that God has this limitless supply of grace, and we need it. We talk here a lot about being a place of grace because we are all desperately in need of grace. Not just about forgiveness, but grace has to do with transformation. See, grace has to do with with learning how to live with Jesus every day of my life. Dallas Willard puts it this way, grace is God acting in our lives to accomplish what we cannot accomplish on our own. And he goes on, he says, Christians burn up grace like a 747 burns up jet fuel. (laughs) We need it because grace is about the transformation that God brings about in my life that I cannot accomplish on my own. It is about taking on the qualities and the characteristics of Jesus Christ in my own life and in my own personality. I read through the scriptures. I read through the gospels. And one of the things I understand is that Jesus was an incredibly patient person. I, on the other hand, am not. Now, how do, I, how do I become a more patient person? What does that look like? That is a work of God's grace. I cannot accomplish that on my own. So let's say I decide patience is something that I need in my life. I need to become a more patient person. How does that happen? Well, let me give you an example. Um, this past Wednesday night, uh, my wife had a, a Christmas party with her work. And so that meant that I was on my own for dinner. So when I'm on my own for dinner, there's only one place I go. It's a burrito from Mi Pueblo, okay? That is, that is when I'm on my own for dinner, that's where I go, okay? So after work Wednesday, I had a few hours to run a little bit last-minute Christmas shopping. I had to go to Costco, and I spent I don't know how long. I lost track of all time, but you know, spent all my time at Costco, went through that whole line. Now I'm ready for dinner, and I am hungry. I get to Mi Pueblo, and there's like, I'm, I lucked out. There's only like three people in front of me. Score, except that they are the slowest they have ever been. And sometimes they can be pretty slow, but this was like the slowest. And I was the hungriest I think I've ever been in a long, long, long time. And so I'm standing in line. There's only three people, but like the third person up in front of me, they're at the cash register and they're carrying on this whole conversation with the teller. And I don't even care about what they're doing for Christmas. Just order your food and get out of my way. You know, and, 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 and they're taking forever and forever and forever, and I'm starting to get irritated. I'm starting to get frustrated. I'm doing a slow burn inside, and then they finally finish, and the next person sets up there, and they do the whole same thing, and they're going on. I go, don't you know I'm hungry? And then, and then the next person finally gets up, and there's one more person, and it's in my turn, and then, then, then the manager has to come and change out the drawers, you know, and, and exchange and get a new drawer in the cash drawer and take the old one away and all that thing. And I'm just standing there. I'm, I'm so hungry. And I'm just so tired. And I'm just burning up inside. I'm so frustrated. I'm so irritated. And in that moment, I realize this weekend, I'm going to be preaching to people about the patience of Jesus. <laughs> and in that moment, I've got a decision. And this is how it works. So I stop in that moment and I say, Lord, I'm not a patient person. And I'm standing here and I'm fussing and I'm fuming and it's not doing me one bit of good. And it's something I can't change myself. So would you in this moment meet with me, help me take a deep breath and to rest in you. 
And you know what happens in that moment? He does it. He does. See, that's, that's how grace works. It's not just about forgiveness of my sin, because sometimes, sometimes we use grace as an excuse to indulge in our own little thing, knowing that God will always forgive. But, but living by grace is more than that. It's about every moment living it with Jesus. And when I catch myself in those moments, when I'm living it on my own, recognizing it and just saying, Lord, would you be with me right now? I need your grace. See, that's what the life of grace looks like. But it's not just about grace. We are also meant to live our lives in truth. See, John goes on, and he writes about this. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, in the same way that grace is not just about forgiveness of sin, truth is not just about correct doctrine, although that is important. But truth is something much deeper than that. See, when Jesus came, what he came was to announce um, the, the coming of the kingdom of God, that there is a different way of doing life. What Jesus did in his ministry on this earth was he gave us a different look at reality. He gave us a different perspective on what is truth, and it is different than the way that we live our lives. He came in and he announced something that was quite, quite different than the way that we generally run our lives. He came along and he said things like, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. Now, that's truth. But see, truth, truth has to become a reality for me. See, see, this whole idea of living in truth is understanding that what Jesus said really is true, and what he says about life really is the best way to live, and understanding it enough that I am willing to trust him with it and actually do it. That what he brought was the best life possible. And so when he says the greatest among you will be the servant of all, the only way I discover that to be true is I start to serve others. And I begin to discover it really is true. When he says things like, it is more blessed to give than to receive. See, now the only way that that becomes true for me is I actually start to live a generous life. And then I discover it really is the best way to live. When he says, whoever will lose his life for my sake, I will give him a new life. I discovered that that really is true. See, it only becomes true for me when the truth of what Jesus says becomes real enough to me that I actually trust him and live that way and discover it really is true. See, I believe in gravity. I believe in gravity so much I don't understand how it works. Okay, but I don't even think about it. I live my life as if there is this truth called gravity. And I have enough experience in life to know that it is true. Going all the way back to when I first learned how to ride a bike. <laughs> or in kindergarten, when a group of us guys thought you really could put more than one person on the slide at a time. And I went over the side and broke my arm. And then I discovered there was a reason they had that rule. Or, or even later in life, when I was working in construction, working for my dad, and we were, we were doing a remodel on a dentist's office, and um, 
one of the things was we were re- replacing over the reception area, we were putting in a brand new skylight. And it was a sloped roof on this building. And, and so we had built the curb for the skylight, but we needed the, wait, waiting for the skylight to be delivered. So we had temporarily put just a sheet of plywood over it, nailed it down to that curbing. And, um, and then when it came time to install, uh, the, the skylight got delivered. We got it up on the roof, and we needed to install it. So we needed to take the plywood off. And I thought, I thought there was at least one more nail on that piece of plywood at the bottom as I sat on top of it and pulled what really was the last nail out. (laughs) And the sheet of plywood went, and I went, ah, and I grabbed onto the curb, and I'm just hanging in midair over the receptionist, and I remember the look on the receptionist's face as she looked up, and she went, ah. (laughs) I am a firm believer in gravity. I know it works, and I live my life as if it is True. When Jesus comes and he tells us about truth, he's saying, you got, you got to trust this. You, you live this way. And he also tells us the truth about ourselves, which can get awfully uncomfortable sometimes and painful. Because more often than not, I don't want to know the truth about myself. I'm really good at self-deception, and so are you. But he comes and he tells us the truth about ourselves. And it is absolutely essential for transformation. Jesus said this, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, we have to come to the truth about ourselves and our need before we are open to the grace that we need. So we live our life in grace, and we live our life in truth. But there's one more thing about it. We actually live in the tension between grace and truth. Now, there is a dynamic. There is a dynamic between grace and truth. And and I I wish I could think of a better word to describe it, because tension doesn't really do the job. It it, it is a tension, but that, that gives the impression like they are two polar opposites pulling in exact opposite directions, and they're not. They are really two sides of the very same coin, and we need both of them. We need both grace and truth. See, truth comes and says, you are a sinner, and you are guilty, and you are accountable, but grace comes along and says, but you are also forgiven. Grace says, you are accepted and embraced by God, but truth says, yeah, but you're broken. Grace says, I accept you just the way that you are, and I will love you no matter what. But truth says, yeah, but you need to make some changes. And see, we need both of those. We need both grace and truth. They are opposite sides of the same coin. And and when we live in that tension, that gets messy sometimes. That that, that gets hard to navigate. It gets... um, gets, uh, It seems unfair sometimes. It seems contrary sometimes. But Jesus was perfectly comfortable living in the middle of that tension. And it made such an impact. It made such an impact. This is what it said. John said, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. I think what drove people crazy about Jesus was he lived comfortably in that tension. And nobody understood it. 
couldn't figure it out. Because there's this guy who is like Mr. Truth. His name is Nicodemus. And he is, a, he is a Pharisee and he's a scholar in the law. And he's lived all of his life trying to live as best he can, living up to the law. And he comes to Jesus and has a conversation with him. And he talks about how he has lived all of his life keeping the law. And Jesus says, that's not good enough. Mr. Truth, it is not good enough. You need a new birth. You need to start all over again. And yet, at the same time, he turns around, and there's this guy named Matthew who is a tax collector who is hated by his people, considered a traitor with the, um, uh, and a part of the Roman government. He is not allowed to be a part of the religious life of, 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 of his people. And Jesus comes to him and says, simply, follow me. Well, wait a minute, Jesus. Which is it? <laughs> is it not good enough? And try, or, or, is it, or is it just simply following? Which is it? It's both. It is grace and truth. And Jesus lived comfortably in the middle of that. And it drove people crazy. The truth people didn't understand it. And the grace people couldn't explain it. And it just, it just, and every one of us, every one of us have a leaning one way or the other. Some of us lean very heavily on the grace side. And it's a wonderful place to live. But, but grace without any truth is just sloppy. And it's just, it has no depth to it. And, and truth without grace is just legalism and trying to live by the rules that you can't possibly live up to. See, we need both. And that's where we live. Jesus didn't try to balance the two. It says he was full of grace and truth. And it made such an impression on John that John actually repeated it in the opening lines. He says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And I think the most poignant example of that truth and grace is Jesus' encounter with a woman who is caught in adultery. She is guilty. That's the truth about her. And she's dragged before Jesus by these people who want to stone her and, and, and carry out the law of Moses. And you know, they come to Jesus and they say, the law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? And Jesus says nothing. He sits down and he draws in the sand. And then finally he says this. He says, let you who is without sin throw the first stone. And it says that one by one they dropped their stones and walked away, starting with the oldest among them until they were all gone. And Jesus looked up and saw the woman and said, where are your accusers? She said, there's no one, Lord. And he says this line, which is full of grace and truth. Neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. The truth is, yes, you're a sinner. But go and leave your life of sin. That wasn't the prerequisite. That was the result of grace, neither do I condemn you. See, Jesus lived in the middle of that tension. And he calls us to live that life in the middle of that tension. And sometimes it gets messy and sometimes it gets confusing and sometimes we will be misunderstood. We have, as a church from the very beginning, said we will live with that tension. And we don't always get it right, but what we strive for, what we strive for here is to live in that tension between grace and truth. We are all about grace. We want to be a community, a grace-filled community. We are all people in process. But the truth is, 
We need to change. And so we will live with that tension, and sometimes we as a church will be misunderstood. Sometimes we will get it wrong. Sometimes we won't work it out perfectly. Sometimes it will be confusing. Sometimes it will be messy. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. That every one of us in this room, at different times in our lives, sometimes we'll need massive amounts of grace. And sometimes we will need massive amounts of truth. We will need both. And here's what else I know. That Jesus Christ has exactly what we need in just the right amount every time we need it. Would you bow your heads with me? Some of us here have built up some pretty impressive facades a means of protection. Don't let anybody see the real me. Don't even admit it to myself. And maybe you're here today in a place where you need to come clean. You need to admit the truth about yourself. It may be that you've been using grace as an excuse to indulge in whatever you want to, knowing that God will always forgive. And he will. He will. But truth has to do with confession. It's admitting my need. It's admitting my fault. It's admitting my sin so that I can experience his grace. Others of us are here today and we know the truth about ourselves. We're struggling right now because we can't believe that God could possibly forgive me again when I keep doing the same things over and over again. I keep struggling with the same issues over and over again. You need to know that there is grace for you. And whichever you need, he has exactly what you need. And if you're here today and the thing that you need is to just be honest and come clean and admit, God, this is something that I struggle with. This is something I can't change about myself. I need to admit the truth. Would you just raise your hand and just acknowledge that? that that's a scary thing to be honest enough with yourself and with God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you're here and you know that truth about yourself. It drives you crazy. Maybe what you just need is, is God in his grace to wash over you with his forgiveness and with his mercy and, and, and start restoring you from the inside out. And, and today your, your prayer is, God, would you in your grace change me? Would you raise your hand? Just hold it up so I can acknowledge it. Yeah, yeah, yes. Maybe you're here today, and for you, it's a first-time decision. You've never really put your faith in Jesus Christ. See, he came not only to show you the truth, but to bring you his grace. And maybe you've already raised your hand, but for you, if you're willing to say, this is a first step of faith for me, I'm just, I'm just admitting, God, I can't change myself, and I've got a past that I am not proud of, and I can't go back and undo. I need, I'm being honest, I'm being truthful, I need your grace. Would you? Give me that new life. Would you forgive me? And for you, it's a very first step of faith. Same thing, would you just raise your hand, even if you already raised it before? Yeah. Yeah. Good. 
but I'm going to invite you because this prayer is the same wherever you're at. Lord, here I am. You know the truth about me more than I know about myself. But I do know this, that I need your forgiveness, that I am not good enough, that I am in need of your grace, and I'm willing to come clean and say, this is the truth about me. Would you in your grace forgive, renew, restore? Would you put that life within me? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.